We are so delighted that you are participating with us during this season of Lent because it's a time for examination and reflection. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be experiencing faith on a level that is a little more corporate and a little less private. And for those of us who are part of the uh, expression of faith, particularly renewalists, where we are always about the heart and about our love for God, it, it's a little different. I mean, most of the time we experience faith fairly privately, our own prayer time, our own study time, even sitting in church when we're listening to a message, we tend to process it privately. But here in these Wednesday night meetings, we're going to be uh, talking about a few thoughts. And then when you get done watching whoever's on the screen, uh, we're going to encourage you to get alone or get together with some other folks and talk about how the thoughts are affecting you with them, as well as how the thoughts are impacting the other people that are you're at a table with. Often that's so really interesting to hear how people are processing and what they heard from a presentation from Scripture. I'm convinced that this kind of experience, this um, shared faith, kind of face-to-face -face experience, is critical. Uh, to spiritual formation in the 21st century. And we have too little of it really going on. So stick in here with us over the next few weeks and decide to enjoy it. Tonight we're going to talk about um, just kind of an orientation to the idea of Lent and what it's about and why we do the kind of things that we do. Part of me hates this season. <laughs> My life seems to be already jammed with stuff and uh, um, all of a sudden, here's more, right? But there's something about jumping into a seeking season like Lent affords to us and it's designed to be and loading up with some extra prayer or some fasting or you know, denying yourself of some things or maybe some engagement with some things that maybe you haven't engaged with like extra prayer time or these meetings that we're doing on Wednesday nights. What happens is that somehow... When we do this kind of stuff, it's like we come up to a mirror and we begin to see our soul in a maybe different time. We start thinking about what's really going on inside us. There's a text in 2 Corinthians where Paul urges the believers. He says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves is what he says. The pagan philosopher Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. There's just a lot of truth to that. We examine by participating in things that sort of turn the heat up in our lives and put on the pressure in our lives. And then we kind of watch what goes on. Certainly extra prayer does that because there's something in us that tries to steer away from it. What is that? Fasting certainly does that. Um, you know, we just try to deny yourself the things that you pamper yourself with and then watch how you manifest evil <laughs> or manifest anger or whatever because you're not getting what you normally get. These kinds of experiences help to sort of turn up the heat to see what's really going on under the, under the skin of your soul, right? Gatherings like this mess with us too. The bother of getting ready, of getting here. It, it, and it sort of makes the dragons that are asleep in your soul um, awaken and you sort of poke those guys. Dragons of impatience, of complaining, unthankfulness, anger. The ancient cartographers, these were the map people, 
they would uh, draw maps as they um, would journey and, and uh, investigate, and they'd draw where the mountains are and where the rivers were. But they knew there was land out there that was yet unresearched or unexplored. Uh, and when they, when they would draw their maps, they would draw what they knew, and then the, in the unexplored areas, they would put in the margins where dragons lie. <laughs> and, uh, on some level, what happens in this examination of Lent is you start digging into areas where dragons lie. The examination of Lent puts pressure on your soul. And then you get to watch. When you see just how horrible you are, then you can ask for grace to spill into your soul in order to change uh, what's going on inside you. You know, if you, if you um, know anything about manufacturing, um, there's often they manufacture things that there's standards that they manufacture things to, but they always test along the way every once in a while to see if the product that they've produced actually is up to standard. So if you're, if you're in a piping industry, you might on the outside of a pipe, staple in 280 pounds per square inch, right? And so the expectation is that the pipe was manufactured in a way that could handle 280 pounds. But every once in a while, they'll pull a piece of pipe out and then they'll test it. They'll put on both ends, they'll put the pressure and they'll put up the pressure. If they get up to 160 pounds and all of a sudden there's a fissure in it, they realize, ah, something's wrong with this batch. Sometimes we have 280 pounds per square inch, you know, stamped on our souls. In our minds, we think, I can handle a lot. I'm actually pretty in love with God. I'm actually pretty kind and patient to people. But what happens in a context like this is the pressure gets put on. Then you begin to see what's really going on inside you. To be sure, Lent can be a little unnerving. I mean, you should hate it, hate Lent just a little, and then love it. Hopefully, some of you have already had a horrible time just this past week as you've tried to fast or tried to engage in some areas of prayer or even showing up here tonight. Truth is, and let me say this strongly, God is committed to loving us if we never did this Lent thing or never carefully examined our lives. What we're talking about here is not something that you have to do. I mean, I think by doing it, you open your life in ways that can be more flourishing. Uh, you open up your life to new vistas. You open up your life to maybe things that God has for you that right now are a little beyond your grasp. But understand, we don't do that to win God's favor. God's love is unconditional. It's unmerited. It's incautious. It's reckless because it just sets value on the person being loved, irrespective of what that person's actions are. There's just a sense of intrinsic value that God places on you. And at the end of the day, he just plain sees you and sees me as a treasure. There is nothing we can do to make God change his disposition toward us. There is nothing you can do other than to just look at the fact that he will never love you less or love you more based on what you do. And if you never came back to the church, God loves you. We will hate you, but God will love you. I mean, if you never tithed, God loves you. If you never forgive, God loves you. If you are a lazy, gluttonous, angry, pride-filled, envious, greedy jerk, God is not moved by that. What Jesus did outshines whatever you do or what you don't do. And, and if you never thought about missions. God loves you. I mean, he is as wild about you he, as he ever was. He is hopelessly in love with you, period. 
So if you never get that he loves you, no matter what he still loves you, no matter what he's still wild about you, it just doesn't matter. God is committed to us. And he will always be in hot pursuit of you. However, that being said, there really is a place for loving God back. And there is a place for intentionally focusing on God and his love for us until we, we start to love God back. There's a verse in 1 John 4 that says we love him because he first loved us. It's kind of like, it's an autonomic response. I mean, if I came quickly at your eye, you'd blink. I mean, not because you chose to blink, but it's an autonomic response. Or if, if you go to the doctor and he hits you on that, or she hits you on that part of your knee, your knee kicks out. Why? It's just an autonomic response. What we have to understand is when we focus on God's love and pursuit of us. There's a kind of response that comes. We love him back. Lent and seasons like this, they are about loving God back. It's not to earn anything. It's not to get his attention. It's a response to the fact that we know he has our attention and we want to come to him in kind and open our hearts to him. It's when he moves in us that we are equipped to serve him and to love him. There's a text in Hebrews that says, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good, equip you with everything good. And then it says that he do, that for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, in the examination, we ask ourselves, what are we doing with this equipping? What are we doing with the fact God is moving toward us? I mean, too often, I think that we are casual about exploring the result of God's love and God's grace in our lives. There's a text that's disturbing, really, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. Paul makes a statement. He says, but, but, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. See, the question is, is God's grace that's chasing you, is it accomplishing the effect that God intends? But he, Paul says, he goes on, no, I worked harder than everyone. Yet not I, but this grace of God that was in me. It's this idea that though grace is equipping us and moving toward us and God is in pursuit of us, are we allowing the blink? Are we allowing the reaction? Are we letting ourselves fall in love with God and chase God? There's another text Paul says in 2 Corinthians in 6. He says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you. And tonight we're urging you. And through this season, we're trying to urge you to not receive God's grace in vain. It's there. He's covering you. He loves you. He has favor for you. The sad part is it can be in vain. So we take times like this where we stop and say, is that what's happening? I mean, there have been times when God's grace was in vain to me. <laughs> I wasn't responding. I'm I'm not talking about legalism here. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a grace that changes how you act and you being honest about whether or not you're encountering that. Titus 2 says, uh, it talks, Paul talks about God. He says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem 
us from all iniquity and purify himself, a peculiar people, watch, zealous of good works. (laughs) See, there are times uh, I'm not all that zealous for good works. To be zealous over something means that you are, you're full of, full of that thing. You're, it's characterized by an, an ardently active and devoted to something, right? And that something in this text are good works, things that are good, things that are of God. It means that you have this enthusiastic, eager, fervent, intense, sort of passionate and warm uh, feeling in your heart about doing good works. We're not talking about earning things here. In fact, you don't want what you've earned from God. Nor are we talking about trying to win God's favor. This idea of zealousness is just simply that we've tasted grace. We've been equipped. And, and we are zealous to bring change into the world. If we're going to reach our world, we need more of this. This is the why of Lent. We don't have to, but getting more serious with God will mature us and it will enable us to make our mark on the planet instead of leaving a stain on the planet. So in Lent, we move towards God. We make room for him. We examine uh, which direction we're headed in our faith. Like Pastor Bob talked about on Wednesday night about being the difference between being a prodigal where you're wasting your life and going from God and being a pilgrim, which means you're turning toward God and moving towards him. See, we, we need to be in, engaged in the right story. We need to make sure that just as, again, Bob mentioned about uh, inviting a friend into his car and having stuff in the front seat or something, having to get it out of the way so the guy can get in or person can get into the car. You have to make room for your friend in your car. This is a season in Lent to make room for God. Lent takes some stuff out of your life in order to make room for God. Examples uh, are these Lenten service, the fact that you maybe have a favorite Wednesday night show, right? And you're not doing that. You're here. You're putting that out to put this in. Or maybe you're fasting other things that are dear to you. This year, I always do different things for Lent, but this year I'm not doing chocolate. And if you look at me, you can tell that man loves chocolate, right? So I push that off. And so when Chocolate time comes, which is usually after a meal, and there's something in me that goes, my life is dependent on chocolate right now. I need to have it. Instead of following that impulse, I stop and say, no, no. In fact, sometimes I'll go to the chocolate. I have a little chocolate drawer, by the way. And sometimes I go to the chocolate, and I'll just smell it and just mess my head up a little bit. And then I'll say, you know what, God, I really love chocolate, but I love you more. I'm pushing this out because I'm saying I'm loving you. It's just a simple way of redirecting your life to something more important to you. It's kind of like those of you that remember dating before you were married. You, whenever you started dating, you had to rearrange your whole life, your friendships and everything to make room for that potential relationship. It's that kind of idea. Uh, I also, one of the things I'm fasting this Lent is I have the occasional glass of red wine. Um, it's, it's, really quite precious to me. But the point is, is that I push that out for this 40 days or cutting down, I'm cutting down on some of my TV time and I like TV, right? Why? Because I'm just trying to redirect my love, redirect my yearnings to God. 
And, and then I also have some engagement things, right? If I'm leaving this, what else am I doing? I, I, certainly it's prayer. Uh, I, one of the things I do is I pray out of a breviary, which is a prayer book. And there's usually two, they're called offices that you pray. Well, I have an app that has four offices. So I've upped it to four offices just for Lent. Why? Just because I love it. I, I'm a Pentecostal, so I speak glossolalia, I speak in tongues. So I'm upping my tongue time. I throw a little tongue time in there. <laughs> uh, or, and I'm also up reading, uh, sort of upgrading and upping my Bible reading during this time. What do you want to do? I mean, what could you do? Here's the point. As you do this stuff, you need to watch for a couple things. Watch your reaction to saying no to the stuff you like. You know, what some one year I, or a few years actually in a row, I live in New York City now, don't own a car. But when I did own a car, one of the things I love to do is speed. So during uh, and beat people, you know, at the stop signs and stuff. That, but during Lent, I would make myself drive the uh, um, speed limit and be courteous. It's a thing that's unfamiliar to me. But it would mess with me, right? And then I would watch my reaction. What goes on? What's my impulse against this? And then say, okay, God, what's going on there? What's that dragon that's there? And then ask, talk to God about it. You know, this is, this is where Isaiah 40 is fulfilled in us, this great text. It's, I think it's a Lenten kind of text. And Isaiah says this, comfort to Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. This is God speaking to Isaiah. For, uh, uh, comfort my people, says the Lord your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. How sweet is that? A voice of one calling in the wilderness. You remember this, John the Baptist used to speak this. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Think about that. You're in the desert and God is saying, now prepare a way for the Lord. In other words, you're in the desert. God wants to get to you, but you've got to prepare a way. It makes straight a path in the wilderness. You have to do so. Make a highway for God. Give God some room to flow in. And then watch. And every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill, the things that you feel like you'll never get past, the mountains you can't seem to overcome, they will be made low and the rough ground shall become level and the rugged plains are places a plain. And watch. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. The glory of the Lord means the tangible knowing, the affect of God where your, your emotions are affected, your decision-making is affected, your, your passions are affected, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all humankind will see it. Okay, so now we're going to break up into some groups. We're going to talk through the ups and downs of this, these thoughts together. Next time, we'll be focusing on what we're calling the ache of the human soul and what we're supposed to do with that. It should be miserable for all of us. Um, and uh, just go and break into your questions. God bless. So glad you joined us.